Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. It's been a while since I, I said know. that. How are you doing? Hello, stranger. <laughs> Welcome know, right? to 2023. Yeah, it's only February. I know, right? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, January always lasts about six months, but this year it didn't feel like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was gone all too quick. So look, yes, we're kicking off. We're kicking off a new year of the Food and Drink Business podcast. And uh, we're starting with a fantastic story, which it's taken us some time to get us all in the same <laughs> window, c- c- computer window. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, we're really has. looking forward to it. Excellent. So can you uh, tell us, you've done the build-up, we've been <laughs> trying for ages to get this one done, so... Who are we chatting with and what are we chatting about? Well, today we're looking at how two competitors in the market can actually come together for good. We're joined by John Tortora from Asahi Beverages and Lisa Rippon-Lee from Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners. John is the Group Chief Procurement and Sustainability Officer for Asahi Beverages and he's on the board of Circular Plastics Australia, which is what we're going to be talking about. Hi, John. Hey, Kim. How are you? Very well. And uh, Lisa is the Vice President of Public Affairs, Communications and Sustainability Australia for Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners, which we'll start calling CCEP, just to, you know, (laughs) stop me tripping over my words every day. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Kim. So, John, let's start with you. This project... Where did it begin? What's it called and who's involved? Yeah, thanks, Kim. I mean, look, this is a, it's obviously titled Circular Plastics Australia is the, is the born name of it. And it really, it really came about from um, an industry solution being required to handle our plastics dilemma in our, in our sector. Um, so we knew that as an Asahi Beverages player that we couldn't do this on our own. And so we really looked to see how do we get an ecosystem or industry solution to solve what is, you know, a dilemma for our, our communities and our, um, our businesses. And so PACT came together with us, who are key experts in packaging technology, along with CleanAway, who are experts in bringing waste and, and material feed, and ourselves, who are the consumers and the ability to, to um, uh, utilise the actual bottles. And that's where CPAO was literally born uh, as a group and an entity to, to produce a facility that could handle this particular ecosystem. And then as a result of that, obviously, um, CCEP and, uh, had, had their issues and their, their challenges as well. And, and it was really fitting for us to look at how do we then work together um, to solve industry solutions rather than working against one another to try and uh, fight for the feed and for facilities, et cetera. So it was a really match made in heaven in terms of what we're trying to achieve in terms of solving an industry, industry issue. This, um, Lisa, this coming together and, and, and really realising that you we can't do these things on our own, whether we're a company or an individual. Was it really a new approach for CCEP as well? I think we've partnered with Asahi and other industry players on, in other areas where it makes sense to do so. Um, we recently, we're part of an industry pledge on sugar reduction, for example, where we've come together as an industry to pledge a reduction in sugar to 25% reduction by 2025. So it, it's not a new um, it's not a new thing, but 
Um, and I think we've sort of, it's been said in the past, um, we may compete in the marketplace, but when it comes to the environment, and as you mentioned, doing good, um, we um, collaborate to, do, to get the best outcome um, for our packaging. And this, this um, innovative facility and another one that's coming online this year was really an opportunity for us to close the loop in Australia in terms of the recyc recycling of the plastics. So we were um, fully committed to it. John, most of us have heard this phrase, close the loop, but I reckon there's quite a few of us who, who sort of go, I still don't really understand what it means and what it involves. Uh, can you tell us what close the loop actually is and, and then what it takes to do that? Yeah, great question, Kim. I think it's it's good for education around understanding what are we actually doing, and that's a really really important note. Um, to put it simply, closing the loop is really really just avoiding materials going to landfill, um, and that's a big dilemma for us all. So, in this particular instance, closing the loop means that uh, we have a bottle that is consumed in our in our markets. That bottle is then reused and recycled in our CPA facility, Circular Plastics Australia. It's made back into granules. Uh, it then goes uh, back into the into the manufacturing facilities to be produced as bottles and then refilled again. Um, and that 100% recyclability is closing the loop but not allowing that particular wastage to hit our oceans, to hit our parks, to hit landfill. Um, and it becomes a very sustainable solution um, that's sort of self-fulfilling, if you like, in, in an ecosystem. Um, and when a consumer, When a consumer knows that what they're, they're consuming and having and that particular waste is being reused again, um, that's, I think, a great feeling. It's great for business as well. So I think it's something that the consumers actually expect now. Yeah, right. And is that, when we're talking PET, we're just talking any PET drink bottle, like any PET bottle that's held a beverage? Yeah, there's there's obviously some technical challenges around certain sizes of, of PET okay. containers and if, yeah. if they've got um, carbonation, so that may create some challenges around integrity of the bottle. However... We know in aluminium and glass it's very recyclable and there's collection schemes and we wanted to bring the same view and the same philosophy to plastic. Um, and so one of the major uses of plastic is, is water bottles and soft drinks, etc. and that's where we can move to 100% recycled with PET. I want to imagine, can you paint a picture for us of what this facility actually looks like? I'm, I'm sort of imagining... I'm imagining there's a lot of plastic bottles, but are they all being compacted and, and then it's going through a system? And how does it, yeah. what does it look like? Well, if I can maybe get you to shut your eyes, Kim, and, and drive through a, a, an industrial <laughs> park in Albury, um, in Albury-Wodonga, it's, it's an industrial facility. It's one of the first major sites to be used in that particular area of Albury. Um, it's quite a large industrial site and it handles a billion bottles a year. So it's quite a staggering number to consider. A billion? Um, a billion, yeah. It's quite hard to, to picture a billion bottles, but that's what the site's capable of, of, uh, of handling. And the new site that we're working with uh, closely with CCEP uh, to be built in uh, Victoria as well will also handle another billion bottles a year. So it's basically a facility that enables uh, raw stock feed to come in, so recycled bottles coming from your, your waste and household bins and collectible schemes around the country get all channeled into this particular facility, um, goes through some amazing processing, and it's what's... What's really proud for us in CCP is that this is a state-of-the-art facility. It has world-class equipment um, from all over the world um, and produces amazing uh, yield in terms of processing recyclable material. I think I think one of the one of the important things about the these two plants is that effectively it means that we can recycle the bottles within Australia. 
rather right. than having to go offshore to be recycled and then us to bring recycled plastic back to make the bottles. So it essentially clo closing that loop also means within Australia so that we're not having to send them offshore. Ultimately, we want a bottle to become a pocket bottle again, and we can now do that through these two plants within Australia, which is important. Because that's always, Lisa, that's always been one of the one of the issues, hasn't it? That, that Australia doesn't have the capacity or doesn't have the equipment or doesn't have the technology to be able to do the recycling that needs to be done. And so, you know, I'm, I'm taking from this that CPA is actually sort of answering that issue for at least one portion of, of what we need to be recycling. Yeah, certainly for plastic it is, yeah. Uh, and there's another there's another um, facility being built uh, in Melbourne on the outskirts of Melbourne. Is that right? Yes. So that one is due to come online in I think April May this year, or in the second um, middle of the year, I, I believe. My understanding is the first one came online really quickly, like it was built in just just over a smidge over a year. Uh, that's a remarkable sort of commitment from all parties involved, I guess. Yeah, it was. And I think um, the fact that we had um, great great support from the government, from the construction businesses, from the local councils in Albury, um, enabled everything to happen really quickly in terms of permits and the ability to build the site. Um, and it was done just before, um, during the COVID pandemic also, which is quite challenging. And I think we're taking now the learnings of that build and adopting it to the, uh, the Altona production facility that's being erected, as, as Lisa mentioned, which is due to go live in, uh, in May this year. Looking even beyond that, is this sort of a a facility that you would envisage being like they're one in every um, capital city or you know, on the outskirts of a capital city or does it not need to be that um, frequent or how where is it going to sort of sit in the landscape? Yeah, we believe the, the obviously the eastern seaboard is a critical area for both CC, CCP and Asahi and Clean Away in terms of collection and, and recycling. Uh, Melbourne and, and Albury will, will satisfy a lot of those requirements. And as we get up and running and we are able to build more collection, that could also potentially uh, bring more opportunity to build more, more facilities across the country. But for now, those two facilities handling a billion bottles each will definitely satisfy what we believe the market can be able to handle in terms of um, stock feed going into those facilities. Kim, the other, the other important aspect of that is actually the collection of the bottles themselves because the, these plants rely on being supplied with bottles to recycle. And a lot of the um, feedstock they get um, at the moment is through the, well, it's a combination of through the container deposit schemes and through curbside. And at the moment, we have CDS schemes operating in all states except for Victoria and Tasmania. And Victoria and Tasmania are scheduled to come online during the course of 2023, so towards the end of the year, possibly, which will en enable a lot more um, feedstock to come through the facilities like CPA. Um, the quality of the feedstock that comes through the container deposit schemes is far superior to the quality that you can get through curbside, which is essentially you're recycling um, bins outside that get collected and get taken off to facilities to be sorted and then sent on. Um, so. There's a, it's a combination of how much you can collect to how much you can then process and make into new bottles again. The container deposit scheme seemed to have, I mean, I know that they've sometimes been really contentious for, for states to sort of apply them, but from, from the cheap seats over here, it, it looks like the, the country has, there were a couple that had it 
and now the rest have come online relatively quickly. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've been around. South Australia have been operating one for decades. Yeah. They originally um, began as a solution to littering. So they were designed for small um, small bottles and cans that you wouldn't necessarily take home with you that you'd likely to litter. They started as a solution to littering, but they've actually, um, as it turns out, because I know that the beverage industry in the past were um, have been in two minds about the collection schemes, but we are fully 100% supportive of them. We didn't accept or realise at the time how important the 10 cent deposit would be as an incentive for people to take their containers and put them through uh, the recycling schemes that we have now operating. So one, it's helping with the littering, but it's also providing valuable feedstock for the, for the likes of CPA for, for recycling so that we can make them into bottles again. You're two very large, very prominent companies that are like looking at how they can build their recyclability of their products, but also other sustainability measures, you know, across the board of the business. How does that look within your, within the company? Is it, is it something that goes down through the entire culture or is it really being driven by John, by your team or Lisa, by your sort of your team? And then it's sort of implementing, like, I'm very interested that I think a lot of this stuff has been very come from the individual for a long time about people being passionate about recycling and the environment and sustainability, but that now we're seeing it come from the top down, I guess, you know, from companies like Asahi Beverages or CCEP going, no, this is what we have to do. We have to, you know, get on board. I just, I just want to feel for what that's like within, within your workplaces, how that plays out. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Kim, especially how it's evolved over the last many years. I think mm. your point around top-down is very prudent. So I think what we're seeing now in most organisations like ASAHI and CCEP that we're committing to certain goals and targets that are very public. Um, and once we commit to those goals, it really means we have to put our money where our mouth is and we have to really see that through because we're held accountable to that by our, our staff, our shareholders and our, and our consumers. Um, but it's also a bottom-up approach. I think it's it's not just for top-down from the board saying this is what we're committing to and what we're going to do. It's also bottom-up from the business and the employees of our you know, 5,000 strong employees in Australia, New Zealand and 31,000 across the globe where they believe in working for an organisation that is serious about sustainability. So even though we have our top-down goals which sets the, the strategy and the targets, it's then the bottom-up thinking of our employees who come together and we run a lot of workshops and we have people who volunteer their time to work in sustainability because they, they're so passionate about it and they know they can make a difference working for an Asahi um, in terms of activities and goals and uh, and projects like CPA that makes a real difference. And I think it's a it's not only a feel-good factor personally, but it's also, it's also good for business, right? I think our consumers expect it. Um, if we don't lead the way in the industry, um, we spoke about containing deposit scheme and about beverage containers, but that could be expanded to shampoo products and milk and, and, and other different containers across, across not just beverage. So I think um, as a beverage industry, we're leading the way in sustainability, but it'd be great to see other industries also continue to, to follow and lead and, and do what CCP and Asahi have done where we've taken away our competitive, our competitive um, issues and come together to actually come for a solution. Um, so that could be applied to retail sector or mining sectors where they could come together for the greater good. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, Lisa, what about for CCEP? I know Peter is incredibly passionate about it. 
Yeah, and, and, and as John says, it comes from the top down and also from the bottom up for the same reasons. And I, I would say that organisation-wise, um, you know, climate change and the drive to net zero and a, our 2040 target of getting to net zero across CTP, um, plastic is a very big part of that. And, you know, a recycled bottle has a smaller carbon footprint than an aluminium can or a glass bottle or Tetra. So the more that we can drive this circularity and this bottle to bottle, the more we are um, working towards our decarbonisation plans. Um, so, the, so plastic is a very important part of it. But as also, as John, John says, from the bottom up, there's an expectation. Um, you know, people that come to jo join the company uh, are passionate about it. And it's become, you know, that they're the questions that, that people ask when they join us. Because we're, um, you know, the beverage industry is a bit of a poster child for plastic bottles. So it's the kind of questions that they'll ask at an interview because they're going to get asked by their friends. Um, you know, all the, these companies have got all the plastic, all the plastic, um, you know, polluting the oceans. But we've actually got a really good story to tell with the CPA plants and this circularity and the opportunity to make bottles become bottles again. We're very passionate about that. We're less, so, less passionate about downcycling because there's a finite um, end to downcycling of anything, but um, as what does John that mean? Said, What's downcycling? When you make, when you take a bottle and you turn it into tires. Oh right, okay. So you don't make it the same thing again. Okay. Um, or you you make you take a plastic bottle and you turn it into um, glasses or right. linings of briefcases. So I actually at the, at the pub the other evening, I saw someone with a t-shirt on saying this t-shirt's made from 65% recycled plastic. And I wanted to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No, that's what? not the point. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Not, yeah. It's better to close the loop in terms of keeping a bottle within a bottle loop for want of a better word. Uh, let's just, just before we wrap up, I want to circle back to this notion of two companies that, you know, compete on the, on the supermarket shelf but have come together in this way. What, uh, John, were, what were the, were there challenges or were there sort of hurdles to sort of make that happen? Oh, no doubt, Kim, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset shift, right? So I think, no doubt, we still remain fierce competitors. I think that's very clear around... We're both chasing market share and we're looking at uh, our products and, and that, that remains, okay? That's very clear around our position in the market. So we, we're striving to be number one as most of our competitors are and that's something we're going to keep keep striving for. But in terms of when it comes to sustainability, that's where we can have a different mindset. Um, and, and I enjoy my time working with CCP in, in our workshops and meetings and board discussions where we're not discussing about the market and our beverages, we're discussing about solving the issues of sustainability. Um, and that's where it's being enjoyable to work and collaborate with not only CCP but also with PACT and CleanAway, government, uh, councils to find those solutions. But, um, yeah, definitely is a, definitely a shift in mindset, but we still remain fierce competitors, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa, was it? Yes. I, I, for us, I think it was, you know, acknowledging that we weren't going to be able to fix this on our own and then it required partnerships. Um, so... You know, there was no question that, um, as John says, we compete in the market, but on, on something as important as um, the recycling of plastics um, and an ultimate goal of no new plastic, just use reuse the stuff that's already out there. Yeah. Um, we, we just knew that we had to um, partner with industry, as we have in other areas where it makes sense to do so.
And do you think this is something that we will be just seeing become the norm that that industries or you know companies within industries really do just come together and go we've got to do something about this i would hope so yeah well you too i just think this is tremendous it's not even putting i don't know money where the mouth is but in a way it is isn't it but the actual it's the seeing the action i think i think it's seeing these plants come to life and a billion bottles suddenly coming out of potentially going to landfill and and exactly that sort of just dealing with the the initial awkwardness in the room <laughs> but then to come together to do something that's really is going to have an impact um so thank you so much for joining us today absolute pleasure thanks kim okay well Thanks, Lisa, and thanks, John. And of course, thanks, Kim, and thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. Meanwhile, we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.